which means I have on any single verse in the Bible, 800 opinions. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that uh, 20% of the time they agree. I don't know if that's true or not, but... <clears throat> but <clears throat> what they are good for is to give me information about the mind of the people at the time when it was written. Because I have to get into the mind of the writer, don't I? So when David wrote that psalm, what was in his mind? What was in David's head? What do the other prophets have to say about it? What do the other scriptures have to say about it? And there's no quick answer. I want to go to the text and find out. Jesus is asking the scribes, How is Messiah David's son? What is it that the scripture teaches us? 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. Talking about the son of David. When your days are fulfilled, he's talking to David, you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. So there is a king who will one day come from the offspring of David, right? He's David's son. He goes back to David, whose kingdom will never end. Have we ever run into a kingdom yet in the history of mankind that has never ended? Okay, then we haven't seen this king yet. At least not completely. Right? His kingdom is forever. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. This should sound familiar. The prophet writes this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's interesting that the text lays out for us the idea for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. If you do a little bit of study in the Bible, you'll discover that part of the line of David was cursed. It's called the curse of Jeconiah. Jeconiah was such a wicked, wicked king that God cursed his line and said, No more will a king from your line ever come. So on one hand, you have a promise that David's son is going to be king. On the other hand, you have a line, part of the line of David, cursed. How's God going to work that out? Well, you have Mary, who is a virgin, who is of the line of Nathan. That's why genealogies matter in the Bible. She comes from a line of Nathan. And so unto us, a child is born. She is the virgin conceiving, giving birth to a son. Through her goes back to David. But the kingly line is cursed. So how does he have the right to be a king? He has the right to be a king by adoption. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. By adoption, Joseph's line goes through Jeconiah. He adopts him. By adoption, he has a right to be king. By birth, he goes back to David, not through the curse. The Bible lays out these ideas about the son of David. We want to understand them. Psalm 89, verse 3. You have said, 
I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring, what's it say? Forever. Forever. There has to be an eternal king somehow, somewhere, that is, that is coming. The Messiah, the Christ. I will establish, Psalm eighty nine twenty nine. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heaven. So we are still looking for a kingdom that will never end. Right? How long is will never end? Okay, so we're all understanding what we're talking about. We're looking for this kingdom. We're longing for this kingdom. What's that kingdom going to look like? Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. <clears throat> the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So, he says, out of Jesse, the stump, the tree cut off, all there is is a stump. So there's going to be a branch that grows out of the root of Jesse. The one who established Jesse. The one who gave Jesse life. The one who is the originator of Jesse's life. From that root, through God, is going to come a branch. This branch, again, this root of Jesse, is a sign of Messiah. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He will reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name that you will call Messiah. Yahweh Tiskanu. Yahweh. You're going to call the Messiah Yahweh. That's God's name, isn't it? You're going to call him Yahweh, our righteousness. This is, so he's asking him, how is this Christ, how is he going to be David's son? Look at uh, Luke 20, verse 42. For David himself says in the book of the Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your footstool. Matthew tells us that when David wrote this, he was writing in the Spirit. It says in Matthew twenty-two forty-three, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord? We know that he sits on the throne at Yahweh's right hand. Daniel, chapter, I want to say chapter 12. I miss this up all the time. Um, when you get to the, <coughs> the vision of the Ancient of Days, one like the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days, and he said, Sit! Here, my throne. He's going to sit at the right hand of God. Do you understand what that means? Sitting at the right hand. We just think, oh yeah, I just, just like sitting beside him. No, he's got a throne next to God. What does that mean? What does it mean if God has a throne next to him? And someone sitting there. It means he is God. Romans 8, 34. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that who is at the right hand of God and interceding for us. Hebrews 1.3 says, He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sin, He sat down at the right side of majesty on high. 
He's got a throne next to the Father's throne. Now when we look at this and we talk about these ideas and we say, well, these are all, this, this is nice, Jackie, we have a lot of opinions here and you're, you're sharing your opinion. We love that. My opinion comes straight out of the text. That's the goal. We want to bring forth concepts out of the text. When you interpret Bible, it comes from the Bible, not your system. Not the glasses you're wearing. If I wear red glasses, I don't want to interpret red. If I wear green glasses, I don't want to interpret green. I interpret based on what does the book say. Are we all tracking? So you have a group of scribes there, lawyers, who don't interpret that way, who have made the Bible fit their purpose, and Jesus is asking them a question. What does this mean? What is this Psalm 110? What does it mean? Listen to what Peter preaches. If you, got, if, you, if you have your Bibles, just flip over. This is not going to be on the screen. Some of it will, but not all of it. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. Looking at Peter's message. Just the part of Peter's message that is talking about the very text we're reading. Shouldn't we let the Bible tell us what the Bible means? What do you think? Alright. Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, they all saw him heal, right? They all heard him teach. They saw the things he did. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God... Raising him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by them. For David says concerning him, oh this is interesting, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter gives his comment on what that means. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. Why is that important? That means David wasn't talking about himself. Right? You won't let your Holy One see corruption. David's buried. You can see his tomb. So he's not talking about David. He says here, Peter says here, he's not talking about David. He died, was buried, and we can go see his tomb to this day. Being therefore a prophet, by the way, he's calling David a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, that's what we've been reading about, right? He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades or the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. In the Jewish mind, corruption begins in four days. When did Jesus rise from the dead? Interesting. No? You will not allow the flesh to see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of the Father, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies 
your footstool. That's the exact text we're looking at, isn't it? The exact text. What's Peter say about it? Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him, Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What is it that Peter's saying? Peter's saying, the son of David spoken of in Psalm 110 is Jesus Christ. The offspring of David, both the originator of his father, the one who causes life for Jesse, but grows out of the root of Jesse. When he is in the incarnation born, we have the text of scripture telling us what it's all about. Now faced with the text of scripture deciding us, telling us what it's all about, Jesus asks this question. David thus calls him Lord. David calls this one Lord, so how is he his son? David called him Lord. That's the, that's a hang up. A, your great great grandfather wouldn't look down the line at his great 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 grandson and call his great 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 grandson Lord. Unless there was something different. Right? What's different? That he's the exalted one. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. The Son who was to be born. He's laying this all out for these scribes. And the question is, now what are you going to do? Are you going to hold to your system? Is your system the authority in your life? Or are you going to hold to Christ? Is he the authority or is, is, your, is your view? Do you know there is a lot of people for whom their view is the authority in their life? And as soon as something happens that shakes that view, anybody ever had a view they had shook? Biblical view? You went somewhere <clears throat> and you heard something you said, well that can't be true. And you go home and you read it and you go, oh my goodness, that's what it says. What am I going to do? And the point is that we allow Scripture to have authority in our life. How do I know whether or not Scripture has authority? When I head, have a head-on collision with my system, my interpretation, and the truth of God's Word, which wins? If the Word doesn't win, then we are inconsistent and we are a mess. And there's a whole lot of systems out there that paint their special little tint on the word of God. But if Jesus is the authority, when the scribes hear this and realize, yeah, you know what? That used to be the interpretation back when my grandfather was a scribe. But we changed it because that doesn't really fit our world today. Is that what we're supposed to do with scripture? No, we conformed it, not the other way around, right? It is the authority. And so this is what Jesus is asking them. What is the authority? How is it that David calls him God? Last place we'll look. Because <clears throat> i got to move on or we're never going to get done. Um, in Psalm 24, 7 through 10. Okay, again, David's psalm. He's writing. How is it that David calls him Lord? Right here. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient of doors. He's talking about the gates of Jerusalem. For the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? That's the question. The answer. Yahweh. That's what it says. The Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. You see it, right? Y-H-V-H. 
No question. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. He's telling the gates of Jerusalem, be ready, because the day is going to come when the King of Glory is going to come in through those gates, and He's going to walk up to the temple, and He's going to stand there. He's going to make a whip in the beginning of His ministry, and He's going to drive out the money changers. John chapter 2, itch. Drive out the money changers. You're going to chase them out. He say, my father's house is a... <clears throat> then at the end of his ministry, right before the cross, he comes back. This same king coming through the same gate. Walking up to the same temple doing the exact same thing. Putting out the money changers. And what are they going to say to him? By what authority do you do this? Who told you you could do this? What does scripture did? My father did. You see, this in my house. But when Jesus leaves before the crucifixion, you know what he's going to say to them? He's going to say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I've wanted to gather you together beneath my wings like a, like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. See then, your house is left to you desolate, empty. Temple, just a building now. Temple's not even there now. But after he walked away, all the temple is a building. The king of glory was outside trying to straighten out his house. Yes? The king of glory. O gates, O ancient of doors, the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. This is the response. So... The question moves then for how will you interpret the Word of God? Will you hear the Word of God? Will you allow the Word of God to have authority in your life? Or if it flies in the face of your... I've heard this. You ever heard people say those things like, if I I get a nickel for every time I heard this? Here's one. My God would never do that. Oh, Lord, have mercy on our soul. Okay, there's not a your God, their God, and somebody else's God. There's not a pantheon of gods out there that are all uh, bowing to the whim of mankind. There's one God revealed in Scripture. That's it. He's there. Will you take the time? Does the Word of God have authority in your life? Will you take the time to know it? The Bible says that the way you find a great leader, you know, is one who meditates on the Word of God day and night. Because that's how we understand. We pour ourselves in. The second question, how do I know if Jesus is authority in my life, is this idea. Do we respond to Scripture? Are we obedient? When the Bible says, feed the hungry, do we do it? When the Bible says, visit the ones in prison, do we do it? When the Bible says, clothe those who are naked, do we do it? When the Bible challenges us, do we wash it out of our mind and walk away, or do we do it? Well, that's the next section of the scripture in verse 45. Jesus said in the hearing of all the people, He said to His disciples, beware the scribes, those are the guys He's just talking to, who like to walk around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplace, in the best seats in the synagogue, and the places of honor at feasts. What's he saying about these guys? They love exalted social status. What is it about the scribes? He said, man, they love for everybody to think they're great. Is that our goal? 
Is that our goal? Just so that everybody... So, I'm, so I wear a nice flowing robe. I don't wear a robe. I, I'm wearing Carhartt. Probably most of you guys got that. I think I got Wrangler jeans. I'm trying to hit my wife up to get me some Levi's. You know, I miss Levi's. But I don't make any promises. It may or may not happen. I don't wear a long flowing robe. In fact, I really have a hard time not bucking against all of our preconceived ideas about what a preacher is supposed to look like. I take my view from this. You ever see John the Baptist? He was a good preacher. How about Jonah? Yeah, he was a good preacher. People repented and changed, right? What did he look like? Well, I don't know. He looked like fish vomit from what I understand. John the Baptist looked like a wild man, crazy hair. My wife is asking. I know you guys are all dying to know. What, she says, what is, what is it you're going for with your hair? Okay, I, I know if she's thinking it, you're thinking it. So, let me tell you what I'm going for with my hair. Nothing. I'm a man. I don't sit around and go, you know what I'm going for with my hair is... I, it just happens. Trust me, there's just not that much thought to it. Yeah? What, what, what does a good preacher look like? Look at the, the Ezekiel. My wife got into this one day. She's telling me about, she didn't like something I was wearing. And I said, you should be thankful I don't go out like Isaiah. He preached naked for three years. And everybody says, oh, I wouldn't come to that church if that was going on. We have ideas in our mind, don't we? Ideas. Now, I don't, I don't mean to be banging it because there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? Look, You want to look nice? Look nice. That's cool. It's all good. There's not, neither is one the rule or the other the rule. The idea is, what are we here for? We're here to, to seek the Lord. They wanted exalted social status. Nice flowing robes. They want to be invited to the nice people's houses. They want to spend time <coughs> at the best seats at the feast, right? This is what they're about. Listen to what Jesus says to them, though. This is what they want, all these nice things. But what do they do? They devour widows' houses for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. They devour widows' houses. What's the point? The point is the weakest, most defenseless people are the ones they're taking advantage of. The widow. They're taking her stuff. They're taking her stuff. What is Jesus' point? Don't be this way. What did God say to do with the widow? We'll take care of her, right? Do you know that the, that the, the pastoral epistles, First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, <clears throat> um, lay out for us what makes a widow. There's rules. Did you know that? Yeah, the Bible tells you, here's what a widow looks like. Here's what a widow does. These are the widows you take care of. Now, you don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder what you're, how you're supposed to do it. It's right there in the Bible. But he's, Jesus says, you guys who have your own interpretation of the Bible, this one you can read. It's pretty easy. Take care of widows. It doesn't say, steal their house. Right? 
But that's what they're doing. And Jesus is saying, what they're doing, they, they, they make a deception. They want people to think they're holy, so they pray for a long time. Because if you pray for a long time, even still today, if you have long prayers, you must be holy, right? Is that true? You know, the most holy prayer in the Bible is when Jesus looked at a tax collector who beat his breast and only said this, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, That man left justified. The other guy, the other fellow had a long prayer. He says, for a pretense. Now, now everybody's going to start checking. Okay. <laughs> oh, this sermon's never going to end. <coughs> okay. The Bible doesn't tell us what's long, so stop thinking about how long you're praying. Just pray. Just let your prayer be sincere. Okay? It's not, there's not a rule somewhere. Pray. If you pray, it's got to be seven words, and that's holy. But if it's 15 words, that's a sinful prayer. No, there's no rules like that. There is no rules like that. And by the way, I just this just popped into my, my mind because my wife tells me this sometimes. She says, well, Jackie, you know the Bible says that it's, it's a, I can't remember the right words. It's a, we'll just use sin, but it's not sin, for a man to have long hair. It's a shame. Yeah, somebody knew it. You were thinking it too. <laughs> it's a shame for a man to have long hair. It does say that. It does say that. I, and I challenge you to find out meditatively what he's talking about. But let me tell you this. I know it's not an authoritative rule. You know why? But let me just ask you this next question. How long is long? Oh, it's the ear. If it touches the ear... It's okay, but if it touches the shoulder, it's shame. Shame, shame. Who's the authority? This is where we come back to, right? The idea, who's the authority? My opinion? Or the Word of God? And what does the Word of God say? And what does the Word of God teach? We, we ought to know before we just go off the top of our heads of what we think it's talking about. No? Shouldn't we? And if we do know what it says, are you doing it? Are you making your own interpretation or are you obeying the word of God? Husbands, are you loving your wives like Christ loved the church? Period. No excuses. I don't care what she does to you. I don't care how much she hates you. It does not matter. Are you loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Period. We, do you know what that means? Yes, I know what that means. Right? Wives, do you submit to your husband? Is that simple? Well, No. It's the word submit. What's that mean? It means what you think it means. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. Well, uh, that's one of the meanings we should be changing. No, you don't have to change the meaning if the first part's true. If your husband loves you like Christ loved a church, you don't have to worry about that, do you? No. The only time it gets screwed up is when we... Aren't doing what the Bible tells us to be doing. Are you doing what it says? Jesus is saying to the scribes, don't be like them. They look good on the outside, but what are they full of? A dead man's bones. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Be real. That's the whole point of this fast, this last 21 days. It's not to put you under some crazy trip. It's just to say, what happens if our faith really reaches our hands? So we do what it is we say we believe. 
Are you tracking with me? So that we say, you know what, somebody's in need, a brother needs help, whatever, we hear about it, and we're able to reach out and do it. Yeah? Are you with me? I hope so. If not, we're all in trouble. Okay, the last thing he's going to talk about. See, you should be happy. There's only three minutes left, and I'm going to talk about giving. Thank God. He can't go too long now. (coughs) He's got to finish. How do I know Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is an authority in my life? I know it by the way I give. Look what he says in Luke 21, (coughs) verse 1. Jesus looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw the poor widow put in... Two small copper coins. About an eighth of a cent. Not very much, right? Not very much. One scripture says Jesus saw how people gave. Another scripture says Jesus saw what they gave. How many of you know he sees both? Yeah, it's not one or the other. He sees both. How you give. Basically, the Bible says if you can't give out of a hilarious heart, do what? Keep it. God's not broke. He don't need the, the point of giving is for me. That's what the point of giving's for. It's for my heart, not for God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he's not short of funds. Drives me crazy when a preacher gets up and says, "We're short of funds. We need to give." Well, that, that may be true. But God's not short. In the Old Testament, whenever there was a famine, that was a call for the leadership to look up to heaven and ask the question, Lord, are we messing up somewhere? No? What if we live by what the Bible says? Now, one of the things we see in the text is, as Jesus is looking at what we give, he sees it different than we do, right? What does he say in verse 3? Truly I tell you, The poor widow has put in more than all of you. I guarantee everybody in front of her and after her put in more coin. She gave an eighth of a cent. But Jesus said she gave more. She gave more. To which one was the Lord her authority? Wasn't God her authority if she's not afraid to give out of her need? She gave out of her need. She didn't give out of her excess. She didn't give out of what she had left. She gave out of her need. It says, truly I tell you, she gave more than all of them. 2 Corinthians 8.12, it says this, For if the readiness is there, it is accepted according to what a person has. Not according to what he doesn't have. It's not about how much you give. That's never been the thing. That's a thing that our government cares about. Right? When you guys walk out, you look to the left, there's a bunch of envelopes there. Those are tithe receipts. Save us, what's the stamp cost? It's 50 cents now? Wow, you're kidding me. Save us 50 cents and grab your tithe receipt. But to be honest, I'm going to tell you God's honest truth. They are letters that have my name on it and and I don't know if they have signature anymore. It might be a stamp because I don't care. And to be honest, I don't want to know. I don't want to worry about it. So if you give a lot and you're hoping, man, I don't know why Jackie don't notice. Because I don't pay attention. I don't want to know. I don't want to know how much you give or how little you give. I want to look at you like a brother or sister and not see dollar signs. 
Is that okay? So the Lord says, whether you got it, just give. The point is, just give. Because what I hold on to, well, that starts to show what it is I really love. No? Oh. This. No, that's okay. But this. Right? We don't want to be like that. Verse 4, it says, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave from her poverty. She put in everything she had to live on. She gave it all. You know what scripture doesn't say? That she got a hundredfold in return. That's another thing that bugs me. Yeah, sometimes God lets you be hungry. Sometimes it don't all come together. And when it don't all come together, the question is, do you trust me? And you know the amazing miracle of it all? If the rest of us are being obedient to what the Word of God says, we would recognize when a brother or sister is hurting or hungry or in need, and we would be able to help out. No? Because I promise you, while some of us abound, others are in need. Right? And what is it that God's Word says? If Jesus is authority in my life, then I want to be His hands and feet, don't I? If Jesus is the authority in my life, then I let His Word say what it says, and I adjust me. If Jesus is the authority in my life, when His Word tells me to do something, I respond. I don't do the opposite. Right? This is how we know. Jesus is our authority. He's the one to whom I bow the knee. That I bow the head. Because I, I tried to do it all myself. And to be honest, you don't want me in charge of very much. You really don't. You want God in charge. You want the Lord leading. And then if he leads us into famine, we go to famine together. And we'll figure it out. And if he leads us into plenty, we'll go to plenty together. And we'll figure it out. And whatever we do, we're going we're gonna to move in that direction. Aren't those the things we see on the pages of Scripture? Aren't those the things we understand? So, is Jesus your Lord? That's our meditation this week. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you for your word, that your word indeed is the authority in our life, and that to which (coughs) we must obey. So God, I pray that you would teach us to be students of your word, that we don't believe something just because someone said it, but we'll be like the Bereans in scripture, who received the word of God with all joy. And then search the scriptures daily to see that these things are so. God, if your word's authoritative, then I'm going to it day by day because it's my daily bread. I need it to understand what I'm doing, where I'm going, what my attitude should be, how I should deal with the circumstances in my life. God, I pray that your word is authoritative and that... We are willing to be students of interpretation so that we're not led astray. That we stand on the truth, not on a system, but on the truth of your word. 
Lord God. I pray, Lord, that we allow your word to change us. That we do not conform your word to the times. But your word converts our times. God, that you would make us like you. That we hate what you hate. That we love what you love. And that we do what you did. By the power that you've given us. For every command of the Lord is his enablement. He doesn't ask us to do what he will not empower us to do. God, I pray that of all our possessions, they don't possess us. That our possessions are tools, gifts given from a good, good Father. Gifts that we might then use to honor you, God. So let us do so. Let us do so out of a grateful heart, a thankful heart, not out of obligation, but just simply because we are willing, whether much or little. I pray, God, that what we give you flows from a grateful, hilarious, joyous heart. Because if we will allow these things to be the touchstones, the foundation of our walk with you, then we can say, Jesus is the authority in my life. If it's not, God, I pray that you would lead us to repentance, that we would get our hearts right with you, and that we would then move forward being the men and women you're calling us to be. So Lord, we lift this time to you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.